Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. First things first, if you haven't listened to our last episode, I definitely recommend going back and listening to that. This is part two of our conversation with Stephen Hallowell, so it'll be really helpful to go back and listen to part one first. For those of you who have listened to part one, welcome back for part two. As a reminder, Stephen Hallowell is the VP of Strategic Services at Highspot. Over the course of his career, Stephen has led sales enablement, sales productivity, and sales ops teams in some of the fastest growing companies around, companies like Snowflake and MuleSoft and Responsys. And in our last episode, we introduced you all to his go-to-market maturity model, a playbook that Stephen has written for all the rest of us on the evolution from the earliest stage companies to best in class. And in part one of our deep dive into the model, we covered two of the four pillars. Pillar one, targeting the right accounts, and pillar two, messaging. Today, we're moving on to pillar three, the sales and buying process, and pillar four, accountability. As we go through each pillar, I want you to visualize a spectrum, a spectrum that ranges from those early stage companies to best in class and try to place your company along that spectrum. Where are you in that evolution towards best in class? So let's jump right in with pillar number three, the sales process. Steven explained to me that it's not really about your sales process or your sales stages. Instead, it's about the buying process, the buyers. How are your customers making decisions? And how you move the buying process along can be very different depending on where you are at in your company's go-to-market maturity. You know, what I really think about there, I mean, listen, I think sales process is a, can be a really loaded word. And <laughs> a, a lot of people, you know, think of it as what's my CPQ process? What's my, what are the steps I have to take to get sign off on something? Uh, you know, what hurdles are you going to make me jump over to get resources? And, uh, you know, I mean, listen, some of that stuff is certainly necessary, but what I'm really focused on with sales process is understanding how does a customer look at the world before you engage them or before you enter a certain, a certain stage of the process. And in that stage, where do I need to shift them to, to be able to move forward? So, you know, going back to this idea of if my customer looks at the world as I need this widget, I know I need one. I hate everything else that's out there. Um, I just need to know, can you do A, B, and C? If you can, I will buy. That's a very different situation and requires you know, very different things from the sales team than somebody who says, I've heard of you guys. Everybody's talking about you. I'm curious. I want to learn more, but I'm really not quite sure if I need it yet. Mm. And so when you think about what the sales team needs to do in those situations, they're very, very different things. So I, I kind of think of the sales process as, you know, if, if, if you're going to cross a, cross a river and you're hopping from rock to rock and you say, okay, well, I, you know, I'm not going to get across this river all in one, one go. I need some things to stand on along the way. What's the first rock I need to get to? How do I get, get to that one? Then what's the next one? And then what's the next one? And if you can make it, you know, kind of really clear for your sales team, like you're, you know, they, these, these, this is the, the path that, you know, in, in our experience, based on how people buy, these are the things that they need to be able to move through. 
here's how you get from one rock to the next to the next. Now you set up a really easy, repeatable way for them to navigate, you know, and get and get across that river. One of the things that I really liked about the way you broke this down and, you know, certainly starting by just getting these, these rocks that you're jumping from documented and, and getting people aligned around them is, is the key in terms of the starting point. But a part that I hadn't seen before that I think could be helpful for people is you talk about this concept of kind of two halves of, of the selling, excuse me, of the selling process or the buying process. And you basically say the first half is all about getting the buyer and maybe a group of buyers to agree that if you can do what you do or what you say you're going to do, it would create value for their business. That's the first half. Only when you get to that, can you move into the second half about like actually delivering those things. I'm curious, as you've kind of set these sales processes up at different companies, where do people typically fall down in that first half? Because it seems to me like everyone really oftentimes wants to jump to the second half. A hundred percent. I think the, the place people fall down is they simply skip over it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, again, is it is that classic, how fast can I get Nessie in here to go do a demo? Um, I want to just get into talking about technology. And, you know, in, in fairness to a lot of the AEs out there, you know, that's how, if, the, if they've been selling at a company for a while, that's what those innovator and early adopter customers want. That's what they need because they get the first part already. They don't need the first part. But not all customers uh, have that situation. And in fact, as you get bigger, you know, and as you now have, let's say you've got a, you know, a more more defined book of I got 40 accounts and these are my accounts, uh, you know, probably the lion's share of those accounts are going to need to go through that process. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a natural reaction, but it also isn't one that actually, you know, gets gets companies where they need to go. I want to underline Stephen's point here. His proposal is to break your sales process in half. The first half is all about getting a buyer to agree that if you can do what you say you can do, it would create value for their business. Getting a buyer to agree that if you can do what you say you can do, it would create value for their business. Then the second half is about proving to the buying group that you can actually deliver and aligning on commercials, right? But put more simply, the first half is aligning on a vision and the second half is proving the vision. Steven's way of simplifying this is super useful, but I often find that once you start adding more nuance and complexity to your sales organization, things can get less simple really, really quickly. All of a sudden, you've got sales methodologies versus sales processes versus qualification criteria. And some people use these terms interchangeably, but they can mean totally different things. Let's take one that we use at Drift as an example. We use a qualification methodology called MEDIC. That's M-E-D-D-I-C. There's some slight variations. Some people have another C in there, but MEDIC is an acronym that basically represents all of the key components of a B2B sale. So M is metrics, then E is economic buyer, decision criteria, decision process, identify pain, and champion. And the idea is that if you have a handle on all of these key components, you'll win the deal. So with all of that detail, I asked Stephen how I should think about a methodology like Medic in relation to his third pillar of go-to-market maturity, sales processes. So if you think about the components of Medic, 
So if you have, you've got metrics, economic buyer, decision process, decision criteria, identify pain, and champion. The thing I've always thought a little funny about medic is I'm not really sure how they decided that the order should be that order other than the acronym. <laughs> I think uh, it probably was just that it made the nice acronym. <laughs> but as, as you break that down, most of that it actually hits what you need in the first half. So metrics, you know, what, what are they, how are they going to measure success? Who's the economic buyer? How are they going to make a decision? What's the pain? Who's the champion? Those things really all go in the category, maybe a little less to how are they going to make a decision, but, but everything else really falls in the category, the M-E-I-C of, do I need this thing? What problem am I solving? Is it a big problem? Do I understand how this company might create value for me to solve that problem? It's actually only the decision process, decision criteria, you know, if you're really getting into, depending on how you define those, but are we going to do a POC? How are we going to frame that POC? What are the success criteria? Uh, you know, those, those pieces that are much, you know, who needs to sign, uh, who needs to approve, those things that come much further downstream. All the other, you know, MEIC at a minimum have to happen early. And so what I think is really helpful here in a medic environment is having a checkpoint where you're not saying, do I have all of medic? Because again, some of that stuff is going to come later, but do I at least have, you know, kind of four big buckets of medic early? And if I don't, I've got work to do and I've got to, I've got to really polish that up before I worry about, you know, what exactly the decision criteria, the decision process are going to be. By the way, there's even more tactical detail and recommendations from Steven on articulating and implementing your sales processes in his LinkedIn articles. So not to worry, the link to those is in the show notes for you after. But right now, it's time for us to look at pillar four, accountability. Stephen writes in his articles that the pillars are multiplicative, not additive. They need to evolve in lockstep with each other and reinforce one another. So to me, when I think about pillar four, accountability is both the byproduct of all of the other pillars, and at the same time, it's the one that enables the other three. And according to Stephen, understanding this pillar of accountability starts with defining it. And let me be clear first on what I mean. You know, I think accountability is a word that almost kind of can feel like it has a negative connotation to it. And, you know, and, and what, I, what I don't mean is that you need somebody who, you know, yells at all your salespeople all the time. You know, that's, <laughs> that's not, you know, what I'm, what I'm focused on. What I am focused on, though, is that people have an understanding of what they need to do to be successful and they know how they stand against those things. So, you know, the, the, the simplest piece of accountability is, am I achieving my quota or not? And obviously, you know, you need that and most, most companies that's easy enough to figure out, but that doesn't tell me anything about if I'm not achieving my quota, what do I need to do differently? As you get more granular with accountability, you know, you can say, Hey, you know, am I doing, the right things at the top of the funnel? Am I progressing things the right way? Uh, you know, there could be things like, geez, am I, am I engaging partners if that's an important part of your sales motion? But as you, as you identify what those most critical things are for people to do, it's just giving them feedback on for the things that really matter, are you doing them or are you not doing them? And obviously that should 
correlate strongly that if you have somebody who can be really successful without doing any of the things you say are important, you probably haven't picked the right things. But if you if you have those things and everybody kind of agrees, yeah, these are the things that matter. You know, I've certainly seen cultures where nobody nobody asks any questions about those things. And it's a real disservice to, you know, any layer of management that may be a senior sales leader who isn't asking the right questions of a frontline sales manager. It may be a frontline sales manager who's not asking the right questions of their, uh, you know, frontline account executives. But wherever I am in that organization, if I don't know if I'm doing the things I need to be doing, it robs me of the chance to get better. And I firmly believe that coaching depends on good accountability. And Um, you also talk a lot about the fact that that expectation setting kind of has to come from the top, right? You know, take something as simple as, you know, the questions you're just mentioning, you know, if you're probing someone about uh, a specific deal or about a forecast, there could be totally different types of questions asked in different parts of a sales organization. I always worry about someone on our team getting promoted from one team to the next and having a completely different experience uh, with their manager when it comes to some of those things. Yeah. And, you know, to me, I mean, listen, I've worked in a lot of places where, you know, the, the APAC guy and the EMEA guy and the North America guy, you know, gal all do things in a very different way. And, um, listen, innovation is a good thing, but if you, if there are things where you, everybody's kind of agreed, this is what best practice is. And then somebody's not following that and it's not demonstrably better than best practice, then it's worse. And, uh, you know, that, that just kind of says the organization hasn't, invested in really driving the right alignment. And to the extent that you have made investments in figuring out who to target, how to message, what your sales process is, you say, hey, we actually know what good is and you're off doing something that's not good. If I don't bring that to somebody's attention, I'm wasting all that other investment. And, and I think just just to just to kind of push on the coaching point a little bit more, you know, good coaching in my experience is very dependent on you know, if, if, if you're my manager, my willingness and ability to come to you and say, hey, Sean, I know I need to work on X. I'd, I'd like some help, you know, and, and, and kind of me as the person being coached, opting into that discussion and being self-aware about what I need. The accountability is the piece that creates that self-awareness and allows me, gives me the reason to ask for help, helps me know where to ask for help, and then can make that, that experience much more purposeful than, than otherwise it might be. I honestly think that the accountability pillar is my favorite pillar and it's my favorite for a bunch of reasons, but the biggest reason is that anyone in your organization, regardless of where they fall in the org chart can make a difference here. Steven explains that if you've done all of this work to align your go-to-market inside of any of these pillars, and then you see some behavior that doesn't align with all of that work, It's your responsibility to call that out. If you simply turn a blind eye to it or just allow it, you're essentially wasting all the time and investment you've made on that alignment in the first place. And also, we can contribute to the level of accountability and the level of good coaching by simply seeking that out ourselves. We can seek out coaching from our own managers and be open to it in the first place. In fact, us opting into that coaching and showing that level of self-awareness means you know what you're supposed to be accountable for and you're seeking help in that specific area. 
That is so, so powerful. Accountability is also about focus, though. You can't blame people for not holding themselves accountable for their responsibilities if the list of their responsibilities is a mile long and a mile wide. So how do we maintain that focus, both for the coaches and for those being coached? You know, listen, I, I have been guilty of, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll have the, the, geez, I want it all, you know, and, and I, man, all these things are so important. And, you know, I think I've, I've learned the hard way over the years that y- you got to start with, if you can actually get people to consistently pay attention to one thing even, but, but they're actually doing it consistently, that's a much bigger victory than 20% of the people paying attention to 20 things. Mm. And so really sharpening up on if we had to just get people to focus in a couple areas, what are the things that matter? And let's get really consistent about that and build that muscle of learning how to be consistent. Once that muscle's in place, if you say, okay, you know, good, now we've got this piece down. Now we want to add another layer, another wrinkle to it. Now you can start to fold in more. But I think that allows the organization to sort of adapt to it over time. You know, I mean, I think it's like, you know, anytime you learn something new, you know, think about whether it's a, you know, a golf swing or, you know, whatever your sport is, you know, somebody gave you, hey, think about these 25 things, you know, and that's going to help you get a good golf swing. That's eh, not going to be helpful. Hmm. Um, you know, if it's, if it's, on the other hand, look at the ball and don't move your head. Okay. That's a place to start. And once, once you get that down, now you can add other pieces in. I, I keep thinking about that as, you know, one of the ways that we've kind of tried to solve for that at Drift is we have, you know, picked certain components of the funnel, right? And said, okay, we're going to, we're going to, let's say just to keep things simple, we're going to work our way down the funnel and we're only going to focus on this specific part of the funnel for, I don't know, this month or this quarter. And then, you know, once we've seen what we want to see there, it's time to move on to the next part of the funnel. And so similar to the golf swing analogy, I can imagine a world where, it's easy to backslide or lose some of the things you did early, right? So to go back to the golf swing, like you get really, really good at keeping your head down. But then, you know, as you start to focus on, you know, your the way your hips move, you forget to, to keep your head down all of a sudden. And like you're on step three and all of a sudden step one is failing. And so inside of folks' businesses, you know, you talk about these pillars being multiplicative instead of additive. And so I'm curious, how do you kind of, make sure that you don't backslide in some of these areas after you've worked so hard to, to progress. Well, I think so. You know, we're kind of zooming back out again now to the whole framework. And I think the good thing is that they, that they should relate to each other. So I guess just to, you know, kind of as an example of um, if, if I want to make a shift to, you know, if I, if I'm making this shift from selling to, you know, innovative customers who are mostly coming inbound to I'm now going more outbound uh, and I need to be able to create more urgency in my sales process. And I'm really trying to overcome no decision more often that first off, I've got to be talking to the right person. So if I'm talking to somebody who's really deep in the organization and doesn't have any business context, I'm not talking to the right person. So that comes into my targeting and who I'm engaging and who my, who my ideal customer profile is. But obviously, I need messaging that works with that person. If I, you know, at MuleSoft, when we started kind of shifting our message to uh, to, to take in to focus on more senior audiences, what worked for a, an integration architect was not going to be what worked for a CIO. That message has to come along with that as well. 
similarly, the now that the sales process is also going to be different. You know, the the sales process that worked with that more low level person isn't going to be the same process or what works for somebody more senior. And then, you know, in the accountability, if I'm starting to look at, you know, hey, how is my my conversion rate from opportunity to the midpoint in the funnel evolving, that can start to wrap that up. So the, the, the good and bad there is if I try to make that transition and I just say, hey, sales team, stop focusing on junior folks, focus on people who are more senior. You'll get a lot of eye rolls because you're not actually helping them do that. <laughs> if you say, you know, yes, we need to focus on on a different audience and here's how to do that. And then we'll build in the, the ways to measure and see if we're actually doing it well and see how we're progressing. That actually kind of wraps all that up in a bow. And, you know, you can move forward on that piece and then take the next leap uh, all in all. So I kind of think of it as like these four pillars are kind of four guys chained together trying to get down a football field. And <laughs> right. and, one and, guy can't run to the end. You know, it's right. like they all have to move a little bit and then they move a little bit more and then they move a little bit more. Well, that's what I was going to say, right? It's it's easy because we're talking about these in such a zoomed out context. But in reality, you know, the work that it takes to make the incremental progress on each of these four pillars is really difficult. And they really are, to, to, your, to your football field analogy, kind of all happening in parallel. But some of them are going to be just more naturally based off of internal priorities or different people who are working on them stronger than the others. But you can't just go, it sounds like from what you're saying, you can't just go way ahead on on your messaging if your targeting isn't isn't figured out first, for example. Totally. Yeah, you know, product marketing can't say, hey, we got a new message, guys. You know, we're 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 going after this new audience, you know, go go to it. We're gonna certify all of you. If that doesn't fold into a sales process, for instance, that supports that. Before we go, at the end of each show, we're gonna ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? Hmm. Sorry, I'm not going to be as rapid fire as I'm supposed to be. Okay, I'll give you one. Peak, peak, peak performance. Um, this is a really interesting book, co-authored by a former McKinsey consultant and a world-class running coach. And it draws a ton of parallels between the world of athletic performance and business performance and uh, how to optimize both over the long term. Love it. Um, that's Brad Stolberg, right? Yep. That's the one. Awesome. I just read their other one, uh, passion paradox. So yes. that one was, was yep. good as well. Good one too. Yep. All right. Uh, your favorite part, I, usually I say to people, your favorite part about working in ops. So I'll say to you, your favorite part about working on go to markets. Oh man. It's just, you know, I just think it's, uh, it's so interesting because it's at the, it's at the heart of the business. And, um, you know, the reason that what, what, pulled me into this space was, you know, just felt like the, the biggest lever for impacting the performance of a business, you know, and I continue to believe that, that, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're designing the machine and, and you're helping that machine run and, and hopefully run really well. And, and when you get those things right, it can be such a powerful impact. Least favorite part about working on go-to-markets? You know, I think that the thing that can be challenging is you've got to align a lot of people and a lot of things. And, you know, you're often doing that with, you know, whether it's an ops role or an enablement role or what have you, um, you know, you, you often can't just, you know, you're not, you're not in a position to declare, Hey, this is the way you must do it. Um, you've got to get people to buy in. 
And, um, you know, listen, sometimes that's easier than others, but I think with the right investment, you know, you really can bring people along. Someone who impacted you getting the job you have today. I'll, I'll go to just sort of what, what got me into this space. And I would say it was, so I started, uh, when I was at responses coming out of business school, I started in a product marketing role. You know, we had some, some interesting performance challenges and, and some needs in the business and, you know, I'll give a lot of credit to, uh, to some leaders there that both saw that I had some potential for doing this and frankly, were kind of willing to say, you know, hey, go, go for it and go see what you can do and gave me room to run and, uh, you know, allowed me to really kind of figure this stuff out. And, uh, you know, it's really, it, it's a, it's a career path I, I wouldn't have predicted if you asked me, you know, 15 years ago what I was going to be doing it, it wouldn't have been this, um, but it's been a great fit. That's awesome. Last one for you. Uh, one piece of advice for someone who wants to have your job someday. I think the, the biggest piece of advice I would give, you know, anybody in the, you know, kind of ops or enablement or product marketing space is to really look for leadership opportunities and don't be afraid to take them. I think when people see themselves as my role is purely a supporting role, I'm here to do what other people ask me to do. It really limits what the job can be. Um, when you come in, uh, doing a lot of listening, but, you know, be, being close to the data, understand, you know, use that as a way to bring some unique insight to the business, have a unique perspective, unique perspective, use your skills at structuring, breaking down problems, making things clear for other people. You can really have a powerful leadership voice. Uh, and I just say to, to, to use that. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Stephen Hallowell for taking us through his go-to-market maturity model for our show. And thank you to all of you who stuck around and listened to both parts one and part two uh, of our conversation. I think there's a ton of really helpful and insightful information in these two episodes that people can refer back to as you are building and evolving the go-to-market models at your companies. Also, if you would prefer to see the written version of this model, all of the links that you need to Stephen's LinkedIn articles are included in the show notes. Go back, read those. There's a ton of insightful stuff that we didn't get a chance to cover in either of our conversations. So plenty more value to be had there. Also, if you enjoyed what you heard on this show or any other episode, please, please, please leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts and please subscribe. Thanks so much for listening. That's going to do it for me. We will see you next time.